Glad you're here at Waypoint today. My name is Blair. I do some of the teaching around here. Last week, we took a, a small break to honor seniors. I love that we do that sort of thing. But I want to drag you back to a series that we started before that. And we were talking about Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes. I actually um, appreciated getting a little bit of space in the middle of teaching this because I've been kind of digesting and thinking about this book. And I'm tempted. I know this is not true. But I am tempted to look at what we're reading and what we're studying right now and to think this was written for our time and our culture right now. It wasn't. But, but listen to some of the stuff that's in here. This is in Ecclesiastes 2. This is verse 23. All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at nights their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. I don't know how many people that I've talked to in our culture who have a hard time resting Sleeping, putting their head down without worrying and fretting, storing all of that stuff up. You might think you're alone in that. You're not. There's a lot of people who feel that way, and it's been going on for thousands of years. People had stuff that's happened in their life, and Solomon is stepping into that and saying, what I'm hoping to do is to provide some perspective. I want to help you think differently about life and the way you're living it and the way you're thinking about it. And as I've, I've looked at his words, I've wondered, like 3,000 years ago, when God inspired him to say all of this stuff, I wonder if his culture welcomed his words. I've wondered if our culture, who wrestles with a lot of the same stuff, would feel warmly about Solomon's message to us. Because they're not, it's not warm fuzzy. Like he starts Ecclesiastes by looking at us and saying with sweeping language, everything is meaningless. What'd you leave out with everything? Nothing. Everything that you do to pull in meaning, purpose, to feel satisfaction, anything that you do to grab glory for yourself says is meaningless. It's worthless. And even says why. In Ecclesiastes 2.21, he talks about realizing that at some point, Everything that he has will pass to somebody else. And he's not sure how they're going to shepherd it. He's not sure how they're going to work with it. And basically, we, we looked at that and said, listen, a hundred years from now, nobody will remember your name. Not even your own family. They'll not know what you did, how you did it, the character that you had. All of that gets lost to time. And Solomon looked at that and he said, that is frustrating all of this stuff that we do to pull in glory for ourselves, it's meaningless because at the end of the day, death wipes the slate clean. And he was frustrated by this. If he left us there, we'd still be frustrated, but he didn't. He added more. He starts in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and he used sweeping language again. But this time he says, everything has its time. In God's hands... Everything has a chance to become beautiful. And we looked at how what that means is God starts things that we will never understand the beginning of it and we'll never understand the end of it. We're just kind of hearing this little part of it and God's doing bigger things than we can understand. And so Solomon said, listen, because of that, because God has this ability to bring good out of stuff that we can't understand, don't see, don't know how it even be possible, that the best we can do is to enjoy the moments in life that God gives you that are good. And Solomon referred to them as gifts from God into your life. 
And he said, look, I'm trying to give you perspective. I'm just trying to give you perspective. Everything's meaningless, and these are gifts of God into your life. And this has been helpful for me. This, is, this stuff um, I care about. This is not, I don't just stand here and talk to you about it. I'm trying to find a way to pull this into my life too. And last week I found this to be really helpful because my parents came in to help me on a construction project on our house. And we're doing work that I'm not used to. I'm, I'm used to being in an office. And I was out there slinging around lumber and doing all. I was sore. I was tired. I, I bruised ribs. It took me four days to even figure out what I did. And they're almost okay now. But I had a hard time taking deep breaths and all that kind of stuff. At one point, um, I think this was Friday night, my neck was so sore and stiff, the only way I could turn it was to do this. And so Tracy decided to massage it, and it hurt so bad, we were like, just put me in a corner, and maybe I'll fall asleep accidentally. Because I couldn't, I, couldn't I couldn't find any place to lay where I wasn't sore and hurting. I'm telling you all of this, because I'm trying to help you understand, it wasn't a great time. Right? I was in a lot of pain. But I was practicing this stuff that we've been talking about. And I can remember distinctly, there were moments when I was hot, sweaty, sore. When God brought this to my mind, you're doing a job with your parents. It's a gift from me into your life. And I said, thank you, this is good. You're, you're doing something that Add some stuff that Tracy really wanted to see at the house. This is good. It's a gift for me into your life. A breeze would blow. It would be so refreshing. And I would think, this is a gift of God into my life. Thank you. So I was practicing that perspective. But here's the question. Is that all there is? I mean, is, is that what we have to look forward to as a group? We're going to bust ourselves, we're going to get sore, we're going to have bruised ribs, we're going to have sore necks, we're going to have um, a tough life, and we get moments along the way that we can enjoy, and that's it. That's all that, that's all that we have going for us. Maybe I'll say it this way. Is there any point in building anything? We, we were building part of a house. Why? A hundred years from now, will it even be standing? Who will own it? Will they take care of it? I don't know. Don't know any of that. Why build a family? If, if they're not even going to remember you a hundred years from now, why put all of that energy and effort? Why build a career? Why, why put all the energy and effort in to doing something that could make a difference in the world if it doesn't matter in the end? Why give all of that energy to something? And that's the question. Is there any point, is there any point along this path where there's a place for somebody who feels driven to be a part of this kingdom of God, or are we all just kind of wasting our time, just experiencing good moments, and that's all there is? Now, Solomon is about to change some stuff. He's about to turn a corner. In Ecclesiastes 5 through 9, he's going to say some things that are sharply different than what he said up to this point. 
And you have to be careful. You have to be careful when you're reading Ecclesiastes because he's going to repeat himself some. And I think sometimes what happens is people read this and they think, oh, he's saying it again. I'm just going to go to sleep. But he's, he's reemphasizing stuff and he's creating layers. And he's about to add another layer in 5 through 9 that's really different than what he said so far. It's radically different. And before he does it, he lays out a warning. He warns us. This is in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. He says this. I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. Listen, I read that. Can you understand why I think this might be for our culture right now? We walk around with a thing in our pockets or in our hands that gives us instant access to go and envy anybody around the world that we want to right now. And we do it. We look at what they have. Why can't I have that? We look at their relationships. Why can't I have that? We look at their possessions. We look at their career. We, we look at all of this stuff. We look at their experiences. Why can't I have that? And we wonder why we don't sleep at night. And Solomon said, hey, this is going on, but he ends it. This is really important. He says, this too is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. It's like trying to grab the wind. You're wasting your life doing it. And he, so so here's, here's his point by saying this. Most of us who are driven, most of us who feel like driven to go do something are doing it with a basis of comparison somewhere in the background. We're going to compete with others around us. We're going to be better than they are. And we have this thing that's in us, and Solomon warns us, if that becomes your basis, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. And he gives us that warning right before he gives us a different way to be driven in God's kingdom. There's a way to do it. In fact, he, he's going to encourage this from us. But, it, but it's going to be so out in left field because all along he's been saying everything's meaningless. Even, even the stuff that you experience, the best that you can do is find good moments where God gives you gifts. And then he's going to start saying, it's almost, look, this is Father's Day, so you'll understand it this way. It's like hearing something come out of your dad's mouth that he would never say. It's that shocking. You want to know what that feels like? Hmm, check this out. I don't care how late you stay out. Stay out as late as you want. You want to borrow the new car? You want to borrow my credit card? Kids today, they really have it rough. I have no idea where we are or where we're going. I mean, when I was their age, life was easy, super easy. Why haven't you gotten a tattoo yet? How come you don't have any piercings yet? Yep, we're lost. We are completely lost. Ooh, sports. It, it, just do whatever the mechanic says to do. Vehicle maintenance is completely overrated. Look, whatever the mechanic is asking, just pay him. Pay him whatever he wants. I wish they had soap operas at night. I like that boy. You should date him. You should date him immediately. Well, what about the creepy guy with the motorcycle? He's cute. Yeah, sure. Spring break in Tahiti sounds fun. Hey, make sure you get all your video games done before you start your homework. You don't have to pass all your classes. What? You have a project due tomorrow and you've known about it for four weeks and you haven't started yet? Sweet! Doesn't anybody want to know if we're there yet? 
Remember, if you need anything between midnight and 4 a.m., please come wake me up. Hey, I'm on the phone. Could you bring the baby over and let him climb all over me? Hey, hey, can you please turn that music up? Well, we just stopped for lunch 10 minutes ago, but yeah, let's stop again. I never have trouble with my toddler. I never have trouble with my teenagers. I never have trouble with my adult children. You know, she's right. We are ruining her life. Yes, more homework to correct. All right, whining. Yay, tantrums. Mmm, vomit. We just really need to spoil these kids more. Sorry, buddy. I don't know any good jokes at all. You're 16. You pretty much know everything now. I think 18's a great age to get married. Okay, remember, make sure you turn on all the lights before you leave the house. Hey, could you leave the front door open for a couple hours? Thanks. Whoa, money really does grow on trees. It's ridiculous, right? I laughed at that because I saw my dad doing that kind of stuff, and then I realized, oh my word, I do most of that stuff. Um, it's that jarring. Like, you'd never hear that kind of stuff from a dad. You're about to hear Solomon say some stuff that up to this point, it doesn't make sense. You're going to go, what? I, I want you to hear what he has to say. This is at the end of everything that he lays out in 5 through 9. He's going to say this. And this is verse 7. Go Eat your food with gladness, drink your wine with a joyful heart. And you might stop and say, wait, he said that before. He said that, that you should go and enjoy life right now. And yeah, he did, but he's about to change things. That's why you have to pay attention because he says this, and it's important. For God has already approved what you do. God's already approved what you do. Why does what I do even matter? If it's meaningless, there's no purpose behind it, then why is God for it? Why is he approving it? Why is he getting excited about it? In fact, he paints a picture of how excited he is about the approval he gives for us to live. He says in verse 8, always be clothed in white, always anoint your head with oil. These are pictures of a festival-type setup. You would dress in white clothing, you'd be cleaned up in white, and because they didn't have deodorant, they would take and wipe oil on their foreheads as that would have an aroma to it. So when you were with a large group of people, it was okay. Like, it didn't smell terrible. And so he's like, I, I want this to be like a celebration. The stuff that you want to do, I want it to be exciting. He says in verse 9, enjoy life with your wife. I want you to enjoy this. I want you to take a hold of this. Verse 10, he says, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all of your might. Why? Why would I do anything with all of my might? If the answer so far is it's all meaningless or the best I can do is just experience good things that come in, why would I be giving energy and effort? Why would I be pouring myself into anything? And there lies the beauty. Because something's changed for him to say this kind of dramatic stuff. And it changed early on in chapter 5. And I want you to see this. He's saying all of this out-of-character stuff, but it's not before he says these kinds of things. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 1. Guard your steps 
when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. He says, listen, I want you to engage a relationship with God that as you walk, as you step, as you go through life, you're a follower. You're somebody who listens. You're not just talking, talking, talking. You're actually engaged with God. This is what I'm hoping for from you. In verse 20 of that same chapter, he says this. They seldom reflect on the days of their life. He's talking about all the trouble, all the difficulty we have. We seldom reflect on that. Why? Because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. And you start to get the picture. What's changing? What's different? Is that people are starting to realize that God is with them. He's with them. This goes on. There's all kinds of stuff. He's laying out wisdom. He's laying out wisdom. And then he pops these pieces in here that you have to pay attention to. So in Ecclesiastes 7, 13, he says, Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what has been made crooked? God's at work. He's doing stuff that you can't undo. He's doing stuff that you don't understand. This is part of the God that you're being connected with. In chapter 8, verse 12, I'm going to read the first part of it. I'm going to put the second part up for you. He says, although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time. It's like, man, that's frustrating. It looks like they're getting away with it. They're committing crimes and nothing's happening to their life. He says this. I know that it will go better with those who fear God, who are reverent before him. He's painting this picture of what it looks like to live with God. And, and he's doing it in a way that he's saying, listen, our lives are here. The basis for your life is to be with God. That this is frustrating for us. Because what we would like is for God to give us answers as to why things are unfolding the way that they do. But I can promise you, you can look all through the scriptures, what you'll not find once, you'll not find it one time, is where God explains himself to us. Job asked him to. Job was going through a really difficult season in his life. And he asked God to explain himself. And you know what God said to him? You couldn't understand it if I tried. It's too big. It's, it's too vast. And so the way I've tried to think about this, to understand what's happening here, what he's kind of laying out, is the best way I can explain it is how I golf, okay? Um, I grew up, my golfing experience was putt-putt. Now, get, don't get me wrong, it was very serious putt-putt. If you were out there playing around, we don't want you, right? Go play with the other people. We're here for blood. I'm going to kill you. Let's go. Right, And so that, it was serious, serious putt-putt. But as I got older, people started inviting me to adult golf. That's really different, right? And it's not the same transferable skills. I can tell you that right now. And uh, they would invite me to these things called scrambles. And for the longest time, I thought it was named scramble because that's what we all had to do to find my ball. Um, or... I thought the other reason it could have been a scramble is because that's what everybody had to do after I hit the ball. Like, if they wanted to survive, they had to, they had to get out of there. But it turns out it's not that. It's that everybody hits a ball, and you go and you use the best ball that somebody hit. 
which is fantastic news because I, I don't, I mean, who doesn't like to go out and smash a little ball as hard as you can and see how far it'll go? That is a lot of fun. But I'm out there with people who are trying to hook and slice, and I'm not me. That is not, that, I have a very low bar. Um, my low bar, it's, it's, you'll be surprised by it. Uh, I have given up on being worried about being embarrassed. I know I'm going to be embarrassed. So that's not my bar. That's way up here, right? My bar is I'm trying to get off the course without being injured. That's all I care about, right? So if I can hit that ball without wrenching something in my back, I'm happy. If it only goes 50 yards, who cares? I'll go pick it up because this is how I figured out how to play golf. I join teams with people who know how to play golf. And we get to use their best ball, which means it doesn't really matter if I'm out there whacking away at something as long as I don't get hurt, right? And if, if we get on the fairway and everybody's, they're, you know, trying to place it near the pin and they're putting these little divots, not me, I'm plowing. I'm, I, I go and apologize later. I'm like, sorry about that hole out there, but I think you'll have some corn from that later because... I was deep enough that I just planted stuff while I was out there. I mean, it's, it's bad. But when we're finally on the green, I can putt. And maybe once or twice in the whole thing, they might use my ball. They might. And so I'm, I'm out there, I'm giving it my best, and on occasion, uh, one of my putts gets used. It's fantastic. It's awesome. I don't want to discourage you, but I do want to tell you the truth. Your life, like mine, is just like my golf game. And the only reason it ends up having deep meaning and value is because of whose team you're placed on. If you want to know why you would go build a family when they're going to forget your name 100 years from now, you build into that family and you give it with all your might and all your energy and all your effort because God is with you. And you don't know what he started and you don't know how he's going to end it. But you trust him enough and so you give your best. And you understand that your game is what your game is. But you're partnered with the right, you partner with the right person. It's why you can go out and you can build a career. Not because of what it does for you, because God has a plan that's bigger from the beginning and the end than you can possibly understand. And he's with you. And because he's with you, what you go and do could have some purpose and meaning because of what he pulls out of it. Because of what he does. Everywhere you go, yeah, build a skill. Go for it. Why? Because he's with you. God's with you. And when he is, you can play. You can stop worrying about being embarrassed. You can sleep at night. Because God is with you. He's walking alongside you. In fact, what's so fascinating is when he gets to Chapter 9, and he says, I approve what you do. 
He's understood that when you get to that place, that what you've been motivated by, why you're really going out there and taking it to the world is because you see yourself as being on God's team. You've listened to him. You're following him. You're a part of that team. And because of that, your efforts, instead of being full of doubt, I talk to a lot of followers of Jesus who wonder if, they're okay, if it's okay for them to make a big grand change in their life. Or can they take that risk? And God would look at you and say, I've approved it already. I want you to go. I want you to take the risk. Why? Because it's not, it's not contingent on whether you can pull this off or not. I'm doing something that started before you can see it and it will end before you'll ever understand it. And I'm doing something, so why don't you give me your best? Sure, risk. Don't be embarrassed. I don't care. I'm with you. And you could do some incredible stuff. You could be a driven person in God's kingdom when you understand that you're being driven to the relationship first and that what you're doing is for that relationship. It's not for you. It's not for your glory. It's not for what you can get out of it. It's for what God's choosing to do. And you might not see it right now. But because he's so big and his plan is so wide and expansive, you know if I just give my best effort on an occasion, God's going to take my putt and use it. And it's going to advance his kingdom. And I, I, little old me, get to be a part of that. that that's, that's part of what we get drawn into. But our lives are so full of comparing ourselves to the wrong people, of being worried and fretful that we don't sleep, that we've lost the understanding that you could rest and you could go hard. You could try to build something great as long as you understand that who you're with is all the difference in the world. Now listen, I just want to say this real, real quickly. This permission that God gives to say, listen, I've pre-approved it. Will you just go, like, dig in? It doesn't, it doesn't work this way. I just feel like that's what I should do. And what you're talking about goes against what Scripture has to say. God gives boundaries in, in the Scripture not to harm you, but to help you, to guide you. They're meant to be good for you. And so when you decide that you're going to do something outside of that, it could bring harm to your life. That's not what God wants. And so God's not throwing open the door and saying, hey, do whatever, no big deal. But there's a whole world inside of those boundaries that God paints that you could just lean into and give your best. You don't have to be perfect. You, you don't have to be the top of the game. You have to be a person who's decided to do it with all of your might because of the God who's with you. You having trouble sleeping? Have been wondering what your next step should be? Afraid to take that risk? If God is with you, it's time to go. It's time to breathe easy, relax, and to realize you've got the right team. 
Now do it with all of your might. Can I pray with you? God, we, we want to be driven. We want to do stuff that matters. I think you place that in our hearts. But too many times the source of our drivenness is comparison with other people around us. And your warning is it's meaningless. That ultimately where we want to find purpose and meaning is in that moment where we listen to you, where we develop a connection to you and we we're on your team. And because of that, all of our effort, all of our whiffing, all of that struggle that we might go through could have meaning and purpose, not because of how great we are, but because of how great you are. God, there is a life to be lived. But I just ask that you would give us the perspective to see it. That the life worth living is the life that's with you on your team. So that all our effort, all that stuff that you want us to just go out there and attack, that you could use in your time, in your way, with your purposes. We offer you ourselves to you as you write a story. God, I ask you to encourage your church, your people, to lean in and to do it with all of their might. May they listen and then go. We love you. Thank you for providing safety with you. In Jesus' name, amen.